temptation. The readings are all about it today. We hear the temptation of Eve in the first reading, the temptation of Christ in the gospel. And I'm sure every day we experience temptation, maybe especially during this season of Lent as we're trying to be a little bit more self-disciplined. The devil, you know, tries to take advantage of that. And so maybe we would ask the question, if God uh, really loves us, if he really wants us to get to heaven, why does he allow us to be tempted? Maybe go a step farther and ask, well, if God is so uh, good, you know, and uh, wants every, doesn't want sin, wants everything to be good, why did he create creatures, beings, who could be tempted, right? Why not create uh, creatures who would always be good all the time? Now, of course, we might say with Adam and Eve, well, God creates them knowing that they're going to sin, but at the same time knowing that they're going to uh, be redeemed, that he's going to come and redeem them. So maybe in some mysterious way it all works out there. But what about the devil? The devil features very prominently in the readings today. The devil cannot repent. He is an angel, right? He, uh, because Angels do not, like us, learn things through the five senses of the body. And so they have a much more immediate, intuitive understanding of reality. They, they know things much more comprehensively than the human mind. And so their minds don't change, right? The angelic will is fixed for eternity. Satan is not going to repent. So why does God make angels if he knows that some of them will rebel against him for all eternity? Why does God make human beings when he knows that some of us will choose hell for all eternity? Well, the only real answer that we can give to that question, I think, is Jesus in the gospel. In the gospel, Jesus shows us what is so important to God. That is his obedience in love. This is the reason that God allows us to be tempted, that he made us in such a way that we can even be tempted or commit sin at all. It's because the one thing that he really wants is for us as free creatures, as self-determining beings, to love him freely, to obey him freely. Think of how much Jesus paid simply to do that. You know, he became a human being. He lived among us. He was tempted, as we hear in the gospel today, just like us. He was crucified, right? Whipped, scourged, crowned with thorns, crucified and died just so that he could show obedience and love to his father. God is willing to risk the damnation of one-third, we are told, of the angels and who knows how many human beings for all eternity just for the chance just for the opportunity that some of us would freely choose to obey and love him. That's how precious that is for God. That's how precious what Jesus does in the gospel today is to God. Maybe we can get a little bit of a sense of the way God feels in all this if, you know, you've had um, children or grandchildren that you're trying to teach to say thank you or I love you. I remember when I was a little kid, like real little, uh, and on my birthday or Christmas, things like that, my grandparents would give me gifts. 
And then mom would say, now go give your grandma a hug and a kiss, you know, tell her you love her. And I'm like, I don't want to do that, you know. Uh, and we know how that is. Those of us who have, who have grandchildren or children, like when our little grandchild is being a brat and just doesn't want to say thank you or I love you or whatever, you know, well, you kind of put up with it because they're a kid, you know, but it's, it's not the way that it should be. But when that little child on uh, their own just expresses to you love, gives you a hug or gives you a kiss, how precious that is. You know, it really touches us deeply. That's something like what God feels. It's worth it. It's worth it to risk those who are going to turn away from him for all eternity if he can have the free love and obedience of those of us who will try to imitate Jesus and reject temptation. Or if we have fallen into sin and temptation, to repent and start again to reject temptation. And so when we do that, when we imitate Jesus in the gospel today, we are really finding the real meaning and purpose of all of reality. This is what God wants, our free obedience and love. And so to conclude, I just thought I'd talk a little bit about, uh, I was originally going to say the seven capital sins, you know, because the seven capital sins are the source of most of the other sins and temptations in our life. But I thought, you know what would be better than talking about the seven capital sins is talking about the seven virtues that oppose them, right? Because that's what we really need to grow in. And there are two big capital sins on uh, display in the readings today, you might say. They are pride and envy. Pride, you might almost say, is the original sin. It's when we put ourselves before God. This is what happens to Eve in the, in the readings today, right? And the virtue that opposes pride is humility. Well, we should ask ourselves, during Lent, how can I grow in humility? Certainly, we need to pray for humility. I've talked before about the beautiful prayer, the litany of humility. That can be a real thought-provoking prayer for us to pray. But also in our, the other uh, pillars of Lent, fasting and almsgiving, those are great opportunities for humility when we don't tell everybody what we're doing, right? Don't go around saying, oh, this is the fasting that I'm doing for Lent, or this is how much money I'm giving to charity for Lent. What does Jesus say? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Then it helps us to grow in humility. Of course, another very important way of humility is to go to the sacrament of penance. When we go to confession during Lent, which I hope every one of us will during this Lenten season, we, of course, have to humble ourselves. That helps us to grow in humility. So let's think about that. How can we grow in humility during Lent? The other capital sin that we can say is uh, in the readings today is envy. Because that's, if you think about it, that's how Satan is tempting Eve. He's saying, God has something that you don't, and he doesn't want you to have it. And that's what happens to us in life all the time, right? We see somebody with things that we would like, but we don't have. And we're, instead of saying, oh, well, we say, I don't like that person. I, I wish that, you know, they just dropped dead or have a brick fall on their head or something, right? Uh, we get jealous. We get envious of people. Well, so what is the virtue that opposes envy? It is generosity. Now, of course, almsgiving is a, a very practical way of being generous to give. That can help us overcome envy. But, you know, in particular, I was thinking, what if during the season of Lent, we try to especially uh, practice almsgiving in the sense of when I see somebody that I don't particularly like or I am envious of part of their life, 
What if I tried to make myself rejoice when they rejoice? Remember St. Paul says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. What if the people that we don't particularly like, once a week we made a particular point of uh, rejoicing over something that was going well in their life or mourning over something that was going badly in their life. That is a kind of almsgiving. It certainly is a kind of generosity, and it would help us overcome that sin of envy. So let us work on those virtues. You know, really, if we want to change our lives, we've got to change our habits. And that's what virtue is. It's changing our habits for the good. If we change our habits, then we change our lives. And if we change our lives, then we can do what our life was really meant for, to give freely to Jesus Christ, to God our Heavenly Father, our love and our obedience.